This is our first episode since we celebrated our three-year anniversary at 360 Degree City. We initiated the podcast as a way of celebrating another milestone, the 10-year anniversary of my firm, Intelligent Futures. Prior to launch, our team had zero experience in podcasting, but thanks to our values of curiosity, impact, and courageous action, along with the generosity of the dozens of guests who shared their time over the last three years, we now have over 50 episodes under our belt. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all the team members who've built this podcast over the years. Gene Rowe, Cassandra Cager, Jeff Robson, Helen Logren, Alistair Wycliffe Jones, Kate Letizia, and Chad Peters all helped to make this reality. Thanks so much to all of you. For the next year, we're going to experiment with a new approach to the podcast. Rather than releasing episodes that cover their own topic, we're going to produce seasons with a batch of episodes under a common theme. This episode is the first using this new approach. We're going to explore the idea of reading in the city. Thanks to the work we've been undertaking with Calgary Reads, which you'll hear about in a minute, our team's been intrigued with the intersection of reading and the fabric of our cities. In this season, we're going to explore how reading shows up and informs spaces in our cities, big and small. So with that in mind, let's get going and explore the Little Red Reading House. This might sound obvious, but reading is really important. Many of us readers now take this foundational skill for granted. Once you know how to read, you forget that you're even reading. But it's not innate. We have to learn how to read, and creating environments that are supportive and exciting can have a profound impact on how people feel about reading, especially kids. 95% of children will come to reading if we provide them with the instruction that they need in order to understand this really complex thing that they're trying to do inside their head. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of like uh, building, cracking a code. You have to be able to crack the code to come to be a reader. And then you have to be able to see reading as a muscle and that this muscle actually needs to be worked. And even if you come to reading as a young child and you know how, it doesn't mean that everyone chooses to do it any longer. And if you don't continue to read, you do lose the capacity to reach the deepest level of reading. And people who um, build this muscle and know how to read and then come to find the pleasure of reading, so therefore they do it even more, those people reach these deep levels where the best of human beings and the best of society get activated because we come to be critical thinkers, we can problem solve, we are better at communicating. And so that's the kind of um, impact that reading can bring. Reading is just such an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do. And for a parent, uh, reading in itself just is a great nurturing activity that when that's there, when you're focused, uh, shared focus on a book, um, the rest of the world kind of just fades away a little bit. <laughs> it's impossible to really have your attention in other places as opposed to you and your child attending to the book. Um, just having that opportunity for connection, for gentle touch, uh, to be able to just make some very cool, magical moments, I think, of uh, experiences that I had as a child where reading was really um, a focal point of some 
some great interactions. I think back to times when my father and I would share and read Calvin and Hobbes comics together and, <laughs> Hobbes and I would be the voice of Calvin and just could spend hours sitting there reading through strips together. And now as myself as a father, just having those opportunities to, to sit with uh, my two girls and, and getting to read together that it's just really an important part of, of our family routines throughout the day and then how important it is from from a bedtime routine to get us into into our calm bodies and get settled and get to explore some new worlds through the through the great magic of, of books. I recently sat down with Stacy from Calgary Reads, Grant from Cups, and Jackie from Chevron Canada to talk about reading, why it's important and how we can create inspiring and unique places for people to read. Over the last while, our team at Intelligent Futures has been working with a local organization called Calgary Reads to develop information and tools that introduce people to the idea of a reading place. The concept behind a reading place is simple and yet powerful. Create places that are interesting, comfortable, and inviting so that people are excited to read. When we think about reading, we often think about what we read, whether it's a novel, a tweet, an article, a newspaper, what we don't really think about is where we read mm -hmm. and where we read is so important. Through the Little Red Reading House, Stacy and her team at Calgary Reads focus on the where of reading. They create unique placemaking opportunities in homes, businesses, communities, and schools. Placemaking is the act of creating quality spaces that people want to experience. In our communities, many placemaking efforts are focused on extroverted kinds of activities. Think of that lively public plaza or the bustling Main Street. These extroverted spaces are important, but we also need introverted spaces that allow for exploration and reflection. Reading places use placemaking to connect their readers with the space, other readers, and the stories they're reading. An incredible example of this is the Little Red Reading House which was originally known as the Children's Reading Place here in Calgary. It's a beautiful experiment that's caught the attention of communities and organizations around the world. Hi, I'm Stacy Pinney and I'm the CEO of Calgary Reads. So the Children's Reading Place uh, is this beautiful, special magical space in Inglewood. We've just rebranded it and it's now called the Little Red Reading House. And um, the Little Red Reading House implies this same sense, I think, of uh, the, the importance of background knowledge and, oh, that sounds like Little Red Riding Hood. And, oh, this must be a place where, you know, magic and special things happen. So I'm quite excited to take out into the community this, this new identity for a mm -hmm. very, very special place. The Children's Reading Place... Um, sadly is closed right now and uh i like to tell people people get enamored with the inside of this space because each room is uh completely designed around a theme there's all these little nooks and crannies that even adults want to curl up in <laughs> and spend some time reading with a book um but the in, there's an intention there that um some people i don't think i think i think they're so in awe of the wonder of this place that it is somewhere they have never been before we we know what a school is we know what a library is we know what a 7-eleven is but 
a children's reading place has never existed and a little red riding reading house is not um it's just not it's it's just not something that we know what it is so people are in this wonder and awe of where am i and oh my goodness this is even more interesting than i thought it might be um, but underneath there is the intention because we we might spend a lot of time and we do spend a lot of time hopefully thinking about um, is my child becoming a reader what books do we want to take out from the library? What what book do I want to read next on my bedside table if only my kids would go to sleep? Mm-hmm. Uh, we spend lots of time thinking about our reading lives, uh, somewhat consciously and unconsciously. What we don't really think about is where we read. Mm-hmm. And where we read is so important. A child who reads with mom or dad or grandma or some caring adult cuddled up in a bed, their senses equate reading with this beautiful, loving, caring, safe act. So we tried to create a space that when you walk into that space, you feel embraced with this love of language, of just awe and magic and that's what reading in a little cozy nook or on your parents lap or in a comfy chair or in your bed that's pulling up the covers and having a flashlight underneath it those environments trigger something positive in our brain and that positivity equates to thinking that we also love and find the joy in the read act of reading. Mm -hmm. So the house was, was built to celebrate where we read and to help people pay attention, not just to the um, I'd say sometimes drudgery of reading and for lots of kids, it is not something that they enjoy And we wanted to be able to celebrate reading and say, when you come here, you're going to love it. You're going to love it so much that suddenly you start to think, well, wow, maybe there's something to be said here about reading or, wow, my mom has never told me what her favorite book was a child. And mom really has been too busy to think about what was my favorite book when I was five. Mm -hmm. But suddenly she sees it on a shelf at the Little Red Reading House and a whole story can be communicated to her young child about this magic of reading that spans generations. And the house is to be not just for a three-year-old, but the 90-year-old who visits <laughs> equally loves this uh, very special space. So it, it, I like to say it was, um, it's a show home, and, and we know what a show home is. Yep. And when you go to a show home, it makes you think, oh, I wish I had that in my house. So when you come to this little show home, so many people have let us know or sent us pictures that they were inspired to go home and think, where, where do we read as a family? How can we make it more special? And when you are wrapped in a special environment, guess what? You linger longer within that environment. And if reading is a muscle and you're building it, the more you do it, 
the longer you stay in the act of reading, because you're in a comfortable, warm space, the longer you're focused on that task. And we can all use a little bit of stamina around staying focused and reading to the end of a book. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really one of the things that that floored me when I when I visited was uh, just that uh, like a feeling. And so the, the idea that with with that intention behind the design and we've talked about the, the placemaking aspect uh, of it, um, of how reading can then get translated to, as, as you said, you know, in, in sort of, you know, under the covers with your with your mom reading the, the emotional connection to it, as opposed to feeling like a task or a chore that's that's you know for for the longevity the importance of the 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 skill and the longevity of it um to build those positive emotions with an understanding of place and how that can influence people i think is one of the really powerful things if not the most powerful thing about it can i can i share i would say this incredibly inspiring quote that i i think is the Mm -hmm. essence of what it what is a reading place so Uh, Marie Montessori, many people know her as a phenomenal educator, and this is a quote from her, and she says, adults admire their environments. They remember and think about it, but the child absorbs it. The things the child sees are not just remembered, they form part of a child's soul. And this is this feeling, right? You just, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my heart is just exploding when I'm in this place. And that is um, this, if we can help children absorb a love of reading, Mm -hmm. we would have accomplished great things for our world, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we were to break it down, so you, you... You've talked about um, people translating their experience uh, in the Little Red Reading House to their own homes. Uh, what are some of those key elements of a, of a good reading place um, that, that people need to, to think about to create those sort of experiences? Well, I think one of the big ones is you, you have to have this cave You know, like we probably should have called it a reading cave instead of a reading place because there's something about uh, something over top of you when you read, but when you're little, right? When, Mm -hmm. when I sit in my favorite reading chair at night, I don't need a blanket over my head, but um, for a child, they love these little tucked away tiny spaces that they just climb into and i think this sense of solitude and quiet and peace comes through this feeling of a tight quarter mm-hmm. where no one can see you and you could do whatever you want and so i, I say to people find the nook you know for the kids to take their books and that little book nook um is one of the is the number one thing Hmm. your book nook of course also needs to be comfortable so often that is a special chair or a pile of pillows a beanbag chair Uh, we say to parents does your child have these three b's and once you find your little corner 
where you want to read or your Harry Potter closet under the stairs, where, wherever you go, you want to be sure the artifacts of reading are in that nook with you. So those artifacts, of course, and obviously first and foremost are books. You're going there to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the and the more you own those books and you can keep them in there and read them over and over again, the more magical that space is. But any books will do. A, a magazine, an Archie comic, just get some books into the space. Then kids are, are a bit like um, little mice building a nest. You know, they want to hoard their, their stuff in this little special space. So once, I always say to parents, for your own sanity, find some kind of basket, bag, something for them to keep their collection in. Hmm. And it will just look a little better. They'll actually be able to fit inside their nook because it's organized. So the second B is a some a bookcase. We we do that all the time. As adults, we build bookcases and we have bookshelves or, you know, a stack beside our bed that is somewhat organized while waiting for us to read it. Um, and then the third B that we really want a child to have within their space is this book lighting. And it's the book lighting that I think brings this kind of, I don't know, lighting, the illumination of the word is this sacred act within this secret (laughs) space that gives you this sense of this is my really, really special spot. And um, I I would say that's where you start when you're thinking of a child's reading place are these Mm -hmm. three bees within a nook that... uh, lets them feel like they're escaping from you somewhat and that will help them escape into the pages of a beautiful book as well because Mm -hmm. no one else is there to disturb them in my own reading place um i really love art and i really love words so my reading places are always visually appealing Mm -hmm. and i will have you know, well, everywhere I am, I'm I'm surrounded by art in my life. But on in my reading room, there are beautiful. There's beautiful art, and I I think when you love art, you also have a greater appreciation for the art that is within the pages of a book. Right, there right. are the children's books of today are not the Dick and Jane of old. <laughs> the illustrations in children's picture books are awe inspiring, just like the art that we would have hanging on our walls at the children's reading place. We worked with different artists who came and painted the walls and the ceilings and the floors. And that art has uh, made it feel even, I think more special and words Absolutely. we're in the business of reading words so i love having my favorite words my favorite word is hope and you will find the word hope at this house and you find it in my own house and if uh people are asked we often do have favorite words that really resonate with us and and we notice them wherever we go so you know, giving your child a, a painting a black wall in their reading nook that is the chalkboard paint that they could write their favorite words or the favorite quotes that they find in the books that they're reading is a pretty 
awesome way to help a child also understand the interconnectedness between reading and writing. These, these acts mm-hmm. are very complementary to each other. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea <clears throat> related to, to being able to create, have your own little cave, uh, writing your own words. Um, could you also just, just flags for me, describe the importance of kids owning their own books yeah, sadly, um, about a third of children in Canada do, n- do not own any books. Their homes are book and word poor. And uh, those spaces are called book deserts. Hmm. And book deserts, there's a lot of research into book deserts and the correlation to the numbers of books that a child has in their surrounding and the numbers of books that they own. So a child who's growing up in a house who has uh, at least 100 books of their own that belong in that environment, it equates to a higher grade average in their university years. It's, It's that insignificant. And those books could just be decorative. Mm. You know, they, they, they don't. Ideally, a child entering kindergarten has heard a thousand stories through book reading. So these are markers that I think are good aspirational goals for parents to surround yourself and your child with a hundred books. And there are many, many places that you can get free books. Um, There are also barriers to book ownership because they are pricey. Mm -hmm. But um, the beautiful thing about children's books is people, kids grow up, people can pass them on, and uh, all children should own this collection of books. I think it's also, you know, that's one of the important pieces about the Little Red Reading House. When you go, you're not just exposed to a spectacularly charming and whimsical environment, those kids are getting to take a book home. So we are building this book library for children because they get to come. And when you pick a book and, and your mom doesn't pick it for you, you have the choice to pick whatever you want. And our top seller is Captain Underpants. And we can't keep enough Captain Underpants. And parents don't really like Dave Pilkey as much as kids like that author and those stories. When kids have choice about the books that they want to read or own, and then when they're there, we give them a book plate to put inside the front cover of their book for them to write their name in. And when you go through that experience and you get to keep that book, you start to identify as a reader and a child who identifies as a reader and believes that I can, that I am, that I will read. In many cases, it started with a special book gift from someone that they loved or a book Mm -hmm. that was hand me down by grandma who said, this is a book that I loved. So going to the library and giving your child a library card is equally important because there are millions of beautiful books and you're never going to own them all. So we want to be able to borrow books as well. But when you have these favorite books to read over and over again, you're starting to build these book memories 
And it's Mm -hmm. those book memories and those lessons that you've learned within these really signature books that mattered. There are families, you know, I tell the story often of my mom read The Little Engine That Could over and over and over to us. And I have the original copy of that book that she read to her four kids. And I can still hear her voice in my mind with that particular book. And the other one she read us all the time is Are You My Mother? So Mm -hmm. these two books I read to my children probably in my mother's voice almost and to have these books and to as an adult reflect back on why did I remember these of all the books that I would have been exposed to um, over my many decades now why do these ones stand out and I think we're always on a perpetual quest to um, either discover who our mother is or to run away from our mother, one or or the other. So I know that's part of why I really remember that child's book. But The Little Engine That Could, I can say to my grown kids, do you think you can? And we right away share this oral history of the mantra read over and over and over. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And if I can build my own um resilience with a sentence from a book that i was read to when i was five and every time a mountain appears in front of me and i know i can do this i can figure this out i can get over this obstacle um those are the things that we want to give our children and Mm -hmm. books sometimes give us language or big concepts or inspiration that we just wouldn't come to on our own. You know, Mm -hmm. most kids spend their days hearing pretty plain vocabulary, right? Hurry up, we're gonna be late. Eat your (laughs) breakfast, get your shoes on. It's within books that you are introduced to incredible words that you just never hear on a day-to-day basis. And we wanna build those word banks for kids so that they can talk about their emotions and they can, you know, I love a two-year-old that comes out with this zinger of a big vocabulary word. They have no idea what it really means and they may or may not have used it in the right context, but a child who does that gets a positive reaction from the adults around them. And guess what? They're looking for the next amazingly wonderful big word that they can throw into a conversation. And those kinds of kids go on to read. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, so we, we've been talking a lot about uh, children, obviously. That's the genesis and the, the focus of the, the Little Red Reading House. What is so interesting and exciting about the concept is it can be applied in, in other contexts. Maybe we're, we're going to be speaking with, with other folks that have used this reading place idea in other contexts, but maybe you can share uh, some of your thoughts and insights about as, as the, the starting with the house itself and then the idea has, has gone out into other places. What's, what's that been like and what are some of the lessons learned? Yeah, actually it started kind of backwards. Ah. We, we didn't have the house first, We started, uh, Cowrie Reads historically has worked in partnership with schools, 
And so we're dependent on the school environment to um, expose children to the language and literacy that we want them to have. And especially those children who are identified as being at risk of not mm -hmm. coming to love to read or know how to read. And within the school environment, we saw some kind of alarming trends. The library used to be the heart of a school and it was the reading place. There was always a librarian who once a week you got to go down to the library and listen mm -hmm. to a story and pick some books. So much of that ceases to exist anymore because of budget cuts, because of changes in pedagogical beliefs. So a librarian is an extinct staff person. You might have a library technician who's in charge of making sure the books are on the shelf, um, but the most magical librarians weren't the ones that told you to be quiet. They were the ones who read you beautiful stories that you laughed, you talked about, they let you take home to then read again. And when a librarian leaves a school building, reading goes down. Hmm. Teachers don't necessarily know what's the right book at the right time for each child, but a librarian, that's their function, to be the keeper of this collection. We also saw that the word library even wasn't used or allowed. It became a learning commons. And a learning commons initially looked like a computer lab. Right, right. So where was the cozy space to be curious, to cuddle up, to be exposed to the joy of reading? So we asked our school partners and we started with six small, six schools and we said to them, you know what, our volunteers coming into your building aren't enough. We have a hunch that there's more that we need to do to ensure that children are hooked on books. And will you let us try some stuff in your building? And we want to start with bringing back the essence of what a library is. And so the reading place really began within a school and we decided that, you know, we wanted to influence the architecture of the inside of these buildings mm -hmm. so that reading was honored in a new way. And it was really fun for the four years that we worked with different schools and we designed these reading places filled with words, filled with the three Bs, filled with the coziness. Um, and it was out of that uh, environment that we said, you know what, this is really working. People really like this attention to the environment that we've been playing around with. Maybe we should create another one. And then this one should be outside of a school so that far too often society has given reading as a responsibility to school. And, and teachers cannot hold that responsibility. Families have to start that because a mm -hmm. child who hasn't been read to arrives at school already at a loss of having these millions of words that they need to have heard before they arrive there. So the children's reading place was um, taking advantage of an opportunity <laughs> And mm -hmm. the opportunity, uh, we're incredibly opportunistic at Calgary Reads. <laughs> and I happen to have lived in this house before. 
And it was my own reading sanctuary and my daughter's reading place. And when we decided to move and build a new house, I had this house. I'm like, we should try this experiment again. <laughs> it seemed to work in schools. Why not take a whole house and see if we can help people understand what we mean? Because a reading place doesn't mean a school-based library, although it did in that context. Mm -hmm. A reading place can be anywhere and anyone can do it. And we wanted to just show a different model of what was possible. And so we did have this beautiful opportunity to test a prototype of a reading place in a residential uh, environment rather than a, a school environment. And um, I have to say that it worked even better because everything was within our control. Right. Right. You know, the, the custodian wasn't telling me I couldn't hang branches <laughs> from the ceiling. <laughs> so we got to have this, you know, reading place on steroids. Um, and the beautiful thing is that it too has um, inspired families and mm -hmm. teachers. So we do school professional development days where the principals bring the teacher teams in and the teachers wander that space and they go back to their classrooms. Their classroom libraries have become so much more um, special mm -hmm. and cozy and full of curiosities. And uh, I love that we can inspire the environment of school, even from afar. It right. also has done the same thing for um, all of the, the families. And we've moved a lot into working with um, agencies in our community. And the agencies that we work with uh, really are in the business of serving those furthest from opportunity families, those mm -hmm. children who don't own books, who don't have their own bedroom. <laughs> and so how do you build a reading place? And, and we wanted to invite even those agencies in to help ourselves understand and help them understand how important it is, you know, every, every child probably in the whole wide world should own a flashlight. <laughs> and that's manageable, right? We yeah. could do that. Commit to every child is born and they get a flashlight sometime <laughs> along the way. When you get a flashlight and you get a book, there's magic. And so many people, when you are in the depth of dealing with some of the complexity of those families that are really experiencing trauma and all kinds of things, when you can find those small and seemingly insignificant things that bring joy and respite and suddenly some fun and flicking a flashlight off and on and trying to make shadow puppets and putting it under the pages of a book and all those kinds of things. Uh, it's been really fun working with the partners to say a reading place doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a million dollar piece of property in Inglewood. And the most rewarding and most unexpected outcome of this big experiment that we have been um, playing with is the number of community agencies that have asked us to create reading places within their environments. 
So I, I typically don't work in a domestic violence shelter. I, I've, I work in schools. Mm-hmm. But now we have a reading place in a domestic violence shelter. And those families who need these safe spaces can go there anytime. They don't have to come to my show home. They don't even have to um, have their child experience the reading place at the school. They get to experience it right there. And we make sure that those books that they have on site also get to go behind their door into their little room so that they can, in the privacy of their own little apartment, one bedroom that they are with their children, can also escape with the mm-hmm. beautiful books that their children are being read. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm so proud of this crazy little idea um, that <laughs> seems to have taken off and ignited something wonderful in the reading lives of people. As Stacy mentioned, many businesses, not-for-profits, and community groups have helped deliver reading places across Calgary. These special places have been created in community spaces and schools and businesses and beyond. For example, the not-for-profit CUPS built a reading place for Calgarians not long ago. My name is Grant Kennedy, and I am the Senior Manager of Family and Child Development at uh, Cups Calgary Society, which is a not-for-profit in downtown Calgary, uh, really working with um, low-income, vulnerable individuals and families uh, to build resilience. Back in 2012, Cups moved office locations. And as you kind of come into any new space, a lot of the time it's all fresh and new and you, you don't want to touch anything and you don't want to make marks on the walls or put too many holes into stuff. So, um, so we kind of left things as it was in terms of our family development center. But what we found over the years was that um, the, the setup that we had, it was largely forcing kids to fit into an adult-sized world. So what we mm. had was sort of about five, six round tables with chairs um, that it really served as more of a place to come together as a community and have lunch as parents and kids would be coming out of parenting programs. But as far as really truly being a place of family development we were finding it was falling a little bit short so um, we had uh, rooms off of our family center where there's parent education rooms where there's groups that happen within there uh, and then come outside have some lunch and then really try and foster some good parent-child interaction time within that space but what we sort of found is that parents and kids, they didn't really get it that that's what we wanted to do because mm. space in itself was not really set up to promote that, that you just kind of say like, okay, well now I'm sitting on the floor. Um, as some people are finishing up their lunch over there. It's a little bit awkward and I'm not really feeling like this is the space that I want to get down and, and sing songs and read books and, and play games in. Mm. As, as a staff, we really came together to, uh, engage with our clients and we uh, started up a little committee called the Family Development Center Vibe Committee where we wanted Hmm. to come together to sort of see what what do we want to see out of our center. So in engaging with our clients and doing focus groups and sitting down together as a team, what we discovered is that we really wanted to have a physical space 
um, that mirrored what we were promoting in our parent capacity building program. So um, how can we build a space that really promotes empathy, attachment, uh, self-nurturing, gentle touch, uh, appropriate discipline, expressing feelings, um, and having appropriate expectations of yourself and your kids. And the way that we uh, kind of brainstormed and sought uh, different opinions was then uh, great staff members said, well, hey, there's this children's reading place in Inglewood that's done through Calgary Reads, and I think we should really go and check it out. Hmm. Um, so after doing tour and getting engaged with Calgary Reads a little bit more, um, and then uh, engaging a little bit with uh, with Stacy there and having them have an opportunity to kind of come in, take a look at the space. It was really neat how it evolved. Originally, it kind of started out as a, well, we might have we want to at least just get a bookshelf or some sort of tiny nook just because again in, in not-for-profit sometimes we're working with uh, shoestring to non-existent budgets so mm. we kind of start the small idea and get things rolling so what started off as kind of a bookshelf or a nook idea then evolved into well maybe we could do something in this quarter of the space and begin to have a bit more of a potential living room feel. So maybe at least our parent-child interaction times could happen here in that nice, nurturing, safe, inviting space. Uh, and then as that evolved, luckily we were able to uh, get uh, some generous uh, funding to be able to overhaul the entire space. And so uh, when that happened, it was great to get a chance to sit down with Stacy and then a great uh, designer and artist, Karen Scarlett, who was able to walk in the space and allow us to share our ideas. And from there, put together a fantastic proposal that really met our needs as to what the staff and clients wanted to see within the space. Mm. Uh, and from there, it was uh, hitting the ground running that uh, working with Calgary Reads, they did not go slow, that it was, uh, <laughs> once there was a green light, then it was ideas coming through and just a sourcing of materials and just a great job of continuing that momentum and, and building up towards what eventually was our, our final product, which was our, our, our reading space. And it's beautiful. Fantastic. So we'll we'll uh, share some uh, some images on on the website. But can for those of you that or for those out there that um, are curious, can you describe? Um, maybe words don't even do it justice. But can you describe what what someone who walks into your reading space might might see and experience? Well, I, I guess what I would say is before when we had uh, everything set up, that was a lot more of forcing kids to fit into an adult size world. It was really trying to bring everything down to the child's level. So making it child centered and having small child size furniture and items. So when you walk in, um, really, there's a nice connection to nature. So we had uh, a great connection to local artist Carl White, who is super talented and was kind enough to come and paint an initial mural for us, um, which was really centered around uh, nature and animals. And it really just gets the imagination and the mind going right from the start when you come in and see that. Um, paired then with a whole nice living room feel in the back corner where our parent-child interactions happen, where there's a whole living room couch and there's a table that Karen hand-painted a customized snakes and ladders game onto, uh, in, accompanied by a gigantic floor-to-ceiling bookshelf that ha is loaded with front-facing books, as Stacy loves to really promote that. Uh, showing off the books, displaying them just because it gets you way more jazzed up about being able to go and explore when you can see all the great artwork on covers. Um, 
And then from there, it uh, leads into the rest of the space, which is uh, centered around bookshelves surrounding a pillar in the middle of it, uh, again, with some additional soft seating. And then I think the really cool part that we have are these uh, four mobile book nooks that are uh, kind of wood slatted and perfect child little places to kind of crawl into, curl up with a book and a, and a cozy, comfy pillow and uh, get a chance to, to curl up with your favorite book, read. Um, they are big enough for adults to climb into as well. Too, so you, you got to get a little bit cozy, but that's where you find your nice, safe uh, place away from things. So it's really neat that within an open concept room that you have little mm. pockets where you can really uh, get quiet together, find your own little space and just shut the world out and then it's uh just uh the two of you two or three or how many however many cram <laughs> into one amazing get there um so just a, a really cool place that's really book centric a nurturing space and really centered around uh nature as well too so karen and scarlet brought in um uh branches and bits of trees that is then screwed directly into the wall that climbs up onto oh, wow. the ceiling and then decorated with handmade uh, uh, tissue paper flowers as well too to, to bring it to life. So it's uh, really neat how the how they're kind of attached to some of our nature murals and uh, the nature from the wall just then pops out into the rest of the space and really gives you an interactive uh, 3D experience to it all. Wow, very cool. Um, so you've you have the advantage i guess of a of a compare and contrast when you say you moved into the space and you had this sort of before time and now you have the after time what are some of the impacts uh that you've seen with kids and parents and families collectively in the space compared to either before or just just generally of of what kind of space uh this kind of space does for for the dynamics and the behaviors of folks that that interact with it yeah, definitely a, a good uh, a good point in terms of being able to compare. I always, uh, when I first presented it to the rest of uh, uh, Cup staff, I always kind of compared it to it being my Dorothy <laughs> turning from the, the sepia world of uh, Kansas and going into the bright, beautiful, vibrant <laughs> world of Oz. Um, just what we've noticed is just that as as you walk into the space, you just kind of get it now. You get what we want to promote and that we want to have a space where kids and families feel comfortable. You can just, it's a place where you your stress starts to come down a little bit more because it's warm, it's inviting, um, as opposed to before we really got feedback that it was a lot more of a an open, empty, kind of clinical feel and mm. to it. So it was really nice to come in that things are are brighter, softer, um, even just being able to have uh, some of our facilities folks come in and change up some of the switches so we can control a bit more of the lights where sometimes you're oh, in yeah. things and the fluorescent lights are a little bit harsh. So mm. to, be able to turn some of those down and have some, some softer lamps. So as opposed to before where oftentimes the space would breed a little bit more uh, disconnection just with it not being uh, a place where you could get down and, and be at that child's level. Now it's it's a lot easier for parents and kids to interact because it's more purposeful. It just makes a lot more sense for them to feel comfortable getting down and being a little bit more silly and exploring, grabbing books. And really it's been cool to see uh, the kids take off through the space and really dictate to the parents 
what they want to do and seeing the parents mm. having an opportunity to have engage in that child-led play and be able to move along at their pace and be able to explore through the eyes of, uh, of their children. Very cool. Very cool. So you, you've, you've experienced, uh, the, the, the power of, of the reading place in, uh, in your organization. Um, how can you see this concept being applied in other different kinds of sectors and contexts? Do you have any, any thoughts about where else this, this idea could go? Ooh. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think anywhere where, uh, any place where you're looking to engage with, with parents and kids, it just breaks down barriers and makes people feel super comfortable. So even uh, within doctor's offices, if you can <laughs> have that uh, little offshoot to, to help uh, encourage some of those positive interactions and then to just make the place a little bit more, more calming for kids is, mm. is a fantastic place to have it. Jackie and her team have helped build reading places in schools across Calgary. Jackie Harris, I am the Social Risk and Investment Advisor at, at Chevron Canada. So I manage our partnerships with not-for-profit organizations. Education, first and foremost, is one of our focus areas for our social investment strategy. In particular, we support education programs that help students become leaders of tomorrow. And Calgary Reads' mandate of increasing early childhood literacy and building communities where reading matters is something we fully support. We've partnered with Calgary Reads for 10 years on various initiatives and the reading place specifically since 2015. Since then, we've supported the creation of 10 reading places in Calgary schools, which is something we're quite proud of. Over the last five years, we've seen these reading places become one collaborative community of like-minded teachers and administrators who are all committed to fostering a love of reading in their students and families. And this community has benefited from Calgary Reads research and expertise regarding the best strategies for creating, inviting, sustainable reading places. These reading places also offer a safe, inviting, almost magical space for all children to enjoy and develop a love of reading. And this inclusive outreach into the community aligns strongly with our values of diversity and inclusion. Beyond schools, Chevron is also working on including a reading place in their own office space. In 2019, we opened a next generation workspace in our building that is designed for employees to connect and collaborate. Its purpose is to support a sense of community within Chevron and it's had a very positive response from employees. So in 2020, we reached out to Calgary Reads to explore how we could integrate a reading place into this new space. And this reading place would offer employees the choice of finding a comfortable, quiet space to read on their break or for employee network book club members to meet and discuss their latest read. Due to COVID-19, these plans for a reading place in our workplace are currently on hold, but we do look forward to revisiting this, hopefully in the future. Calgary Reads is doing incredible work to inspire comfortable, cozy spaces where you can sit down, pick up a good book, and become inspired by stories, ideas, and new ways of thinking. 
I can speak firsthand about the excitement that building a reading place can create. As we prototyped a kid's workbook for Calgary Reads, my 10-year-old daughter was a tester of this new tool. The end result, a week later, was a very cool and cozy corner in her room that uses old quilt covers, some hooks, pillows, and blankets to create a little reading place where she can dive into her latest book. Adults are only allowed with permission. To find out more about the Little Red Reading House and how you can build a reading place in your own home, go to littleredreading.house. We'll end this episode with Stacy, Grant, and Jackie telling us about a city they each love and why. Now, if you don't mind me, I'm going to see if my daughter will allow me to join her in her reading place. Well, I have to say I love Calgary because it's where I am and where I choose to be right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I think Calgary, and certainly the Calgary of old, I'm not sure about the Calgary and what it will become, but the Calgary of old, what I love about Calgary was, again, this little engine that could, can do spirit. Mm. We can volunteer, we can make an Olympics, we can run the biggest rodeo in the world. Um, and so much of what's beautiful about Calgary is this volunteer citizen driven contribution mm. that makes good things happen in our city. Um, I live in Inglewood, so I live in the oldest neighborhood in Calgary, and I love the diversity, the eclecticness, the uniqueness, and I love walking out my door and being on the river, walking on the bike path, and we have so many beautiful assets mm -hmm. that uh, Calgary is a really awesome, awesome place to be. I hope that with everything that's going on within the economy and, you know, we're, we're not an oil gas town anymore. <laughs> and I'm curious about what we're going to be and what's it going to look like on the other side. And I hope at the very least that we retain this spirit of optimism. And uh, if we see some hope at the end of the tunnel, I think we can continue to be a really incredible city. Well, I'll probably have to go and uh, I'll have to say the city of Ottawa, just because that's oh. uh, where, I, where I'm from and, and why I love it. Um, I think I love it because, uh, because my family's there and that's mm -hmm. what really uh, taps into, into my, my heart is uh, just thinking back to the experiences that, that I was able to, to have and uh, certainly miss them a lot. So the reason why, why I love it is, is mainly because of family. But if I'm thinking of uh, the world that I work in now, I love Calgary just because I'm a big Calgary fan in terms of working in the not-for-profit and social sector that I think we have a very strong uh, and vibrant uh, community and so many great organizations working uh, with some very smart people to be able to, to pick up and, and develop all the citizens of our city and really mm. uh, just some great partnerships. And when I think of Calgary Reads, I think that they're kind of at the forefront of a lot mm -hmm. of They've been uh, a great partner to have. I would have to say Barcelona. I was there last year and had heard great things about it. And um, after experiencing it, I, I think they were all true. It's, it's the kind of city where you can experience everything. They have the architecture, the culture, the food, uh, the people, uh, the nightlife. Um, it's very walkable. You know, you can see you can see the whole whole city by foot. 
360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by. Community and so many great organizations working uh, with some very smart people to be able to to pick up and, and develop all the citizens of our city and really mm. uh, just some great partnerships. And when I think of Calgary Reads, I think that they're kind of at the forefront of a lot mm. of They've been uh, a great partner to have. I would have to say Barcelona. I was there last year and had heard great things about it. And um, after experiencing it, I, I think they were all true. It's, it's the kind of city where you can experience everything they have the architecture, the culture, the food, uh, the people, uh, the nightlife. Um, it's very walkable. You know, you can see you can see the whole whole city by foot. Three hundred and sixty degree city is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.